You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Cuban B, as in back for more. It's the X-Man Podcast. I'm your host, Doc Coyle. Thank you for tuning into the program. Well, it's been a week, guys. It's been quite a week. Last episode, very proud of it. But uh, I've been so busy. So busy, but in like a good way where... I just have a lot of irons and a lot of fires and I'm doing a lot of things like for example like I just uh started at a um a television show well it's a it's a it's a web show now um called Last Words I guessed it on it I think I talked about this last week but I'll just reiterate if you didn't hear it last week um you you know and I I guessed it on the show and basically talk about metal and uh yeah they 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 brought me on as a co-host so I'm going to be doing that every week now so that's fun. Got that new responsibility, and Bad Wolves is doing new music as well as covers. And as you guys seen, I've done like these YouTube covers, you know, the quarantine stuff with Shortest Straw and Judith. And you know, I'm I'm obviously doing this podcast. I'm I'm just involved in, in a lot of different things, but I kind of like it, you know, when I'm just eye of the tiger. You know, just boom, boom, boom. I get like almost, I get like a buzz off it, right? I'm like, man, I'm getting shit done. I'm making shit happen. I get all excited, you know. And then, uh, and then, and a big part of that is actually social media. You know, it was a big goal of mine during this break to really take that more seriously and funnel content and create a narrative and and connect with people. You know, and that kind of filters into a lot of like the live streams and things we're doing. Just, just be kind of a presence and build that and tend to that and it's interesting because i feel like a lot of the things that are great for your career are kind of bad for your health and and personal life you know um and you know i gotten me and lady had gotten a couple couple spats lately you know about me just not being present not being paying attention um because i'm you know, in addition to just having 50 million things buzzing around in my head, um, you know, when you when you focus on like, okay, I got to post about this thing at this time and I got to do this. And as you guys know, if you follow me in the, the Twitter sphere, I'm, I'm very active and kind of discussing big ideas and uh, topics of consequence. 
And it kind of matters to me, you know, having these conversations is important, but, you know, saying, you know, there's only so much attention energy you have. There's much time in the day. So, so as the more you're, you know, kind of focusing that in this little handheld computer in, in your hand, the less you can kind of have for your real world priorities, you know, and it's a, it, it's a bit of a conundrum, right? Cause you put the phone down, you stay off the social media, you'll be a healthier person, probably a happier person, but it's actually disaffective to your career. You know, it's like, it's, we're required to a certain degree to be part of these things. And you know, listen, some people transcend that, you know, they don't, there's plenty of people in bands, musicians or actors or whomever who aren't really involved in that sphere and their career can survive and thrive. And to those people, I am, I'm, I am jealous, but I, I feel like it's too competitive, you know, or I'm, I'm I don't feel like I'm in a, a position to not engage. And, it's, and, and I don't know, I'm just at this kind of weird, not a crossroads, but just like, what do I do? You know? And I guess it's like everything it's, it's balanced, but it's also like, I just want to keep doing things and bigger things and working on this and this project. I, I, I just love it, you know, and it just affects your other aspects of your life. So it's something I'm, I'm working, working on something. I have to be, uh, just recognize that as much as I love working and being creative and doing this project and that project that I can only do so much. And I have to carve out space for my, my real life, my friends and family and, and all that stuff. It, it is what it is. It, it is something I'm, I'm working on. So, you know, just kind of want to put that out, put that energy, just speak that into the universe to, as a reminder to myself and maybe to other people who, you know, are attached to their phones and, you know, your girlfriend's talk, saying something to you and you're distracted and not paying attention and not giving the care and attention that you probably should be. So it's a, just a, just a little affirmation to myself to get my shit together. Well, today's show is brought to you. We have a sponsor. We have several sponsors today, guys. We ain't, we ain't messing around over here. Uh, today's show is brought to you by a new podcast from the Rising Giants Network, and it's called Legendary Rock Stories. Ask yourself a question. Did James Heffield really not like playing with Lars Ork when they first met? Was Dave Mustaine really kicked out before they signed their first major deal? These are questions you want to know. Well, you're very lucky because they cover this very, very interesting subject on this show. It's a show about uncovering the world's greatest rock and metal stories told in a captivating and immersive way using narrative sound effects and sometimes voice acting too. The first season is dedicated to heavy metal legends Metallica, as I mentioned before. Hear everything from their initial lineups to rising to absolute heights. It is an amazing story, not only for rock fans, but music fans in general. You can find it by searching Legendary Rock Stories on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, that's Legendary Rock Stories. Wherever you get podcasts. And it's actually one of the guys that, that runs the show is this guy, Basil. Uh, awesome dude from the Arab Emirates. Has a great show called Basil Meets on YouTube. And uh, he's just a really cool guy. And um, you know, he reached out and supported the show. And I, I, I thank him so much because he's 
a great dude, great interviewer, and I'm I'm actually looking forward to checking out the show, and I appreciate them for supporting the show. We have one more sponsor this week, guys. It's actually a return band. All right, this this is a band called Pathos and Logos, and I don't know if it's Pathos and Logos or Logos, but uh, <laughs> but uh, these are friends of the show, and apparently, it went so well the last time they sponsored the show. They were like, you know what? We need to do this shit again. So we're going to play a track entitled Ministry of Defense. Check it out.
that was Pathos and Logos with their track Ministry of Defense. Like I said, return sponsors and and definitely friends of the show. Um, they are a two piece instrumental group. Uh, you know, we I met those guys in New Jersey. You know, but apparently they have uh, they've abandoned New Jersey for beautiful Colorado. But uh, the drummer Paul Christensen, you know, I've I've known him you know for like 20 years and uh cool singer good singer and also but he plays drums in this band and he used to work for god forbid uh drum teching and he's just one of the nicest dudes out there and the guitar player kyle neely he used to work at tracks east studios where god forbid worked on a bunch of our albums and he's worked on several of our albums and black dahlia murder all kinds of bands super super talented guys and uh so you know they they have connections to god forbid so that it actually it's very apropos that they are on this show but i thought that that track is great very epic and uh you know it's got that that prog you know sinewy kind of adventurous vibe and i i i feel that but anyway that's from an album called glory to order and you can go i mean you can pretty much check check the band out anywhere where you can stream music apple music uh Spotify, you know the deal, but uh, if you want to support the band, you can go over to their Bandcamp, pathoslogos.bandcamp.com. And apparently people are loving their Instagram because they have these like, uh, you know, Ouija kind of symbology kind of things going on (laughs) over there and people are enjoying that. So it's instagram.com backslash pathos.logos. And uh, and yeah, and if you want to buy a hard copy of the album, please shoot them an email at pathos and logos love you at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, man, thank you so much for supporting the show. Support the bands that support this show and the products. Like check out the, po- the podcast I, I mentioned earlier. And uh, and yeah, and if you want to support the show, hit me up on social media or drop me an email at the Podcast at gmail.com. Alrighty then. We do have a guest this week, a very important one at that. You know, uh, a big reason why I started this show was to kind of tell my own story or maybe even like figure it out, you know, from others' perspective besides my own. And so this show will, you know, I I look at it as a journey that will have an end at some point. uh, But along that journey, I, I have to you know, make certain stops. And so it's important that, that I speak to all the guys from God forbid at some point. And we finally get our, the, the band's bass player, John Beaker out cult, um, you know, just a, a wonderful human being, uh, old fashioned stand up guy, which, uh, you know, uh, in, in earnest and, uh, one of those human beings that, you know, has your back. And it's a beautiful thing because you 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 persist in the world and and you find out how 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 rare it is that you know just human beings that will be there for you and and on top of just being, you know, probably one of the more talented underrated bass players in metal, I think you know because of his personality is um, you know, so humble and he's and he's not out there and he's not a flashy human being that I think people don't really know. Um, and it's unfortunate, but, but that's okay. You know I mean? You know, God forbid the band was really about the collective. Um, and you know, so it's important for me to give him that voice, even though I think he was a little hesitant to do the show or a little bit, you know, maybe self-conscious that, you know, he asked me, he's like, Oh, I don't think I, I was worried that it wasn't good. And you know, I, I listened to it. it's great. I'm probably talking a little too much. Uh, so <laughs> apologies, uh, beforehand. Um, 
But you know, when you when you get together with your your old friends and and partners in crime and and band family, you know, it's just you kind of you get in a story mode and, and things kind of go from there. But but it's really important to me, and I and I'm just really glad I could kind of catalog these 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 times that we shared together and this music that we created over over the years and the impact we made. So it's uh, it's it's very important to me. So I'm gonna stop babbling, and then you can just hear me babble on the next part of it. But no. <laughs> uh, Please check out this great conversation with, with, with my man, my brother. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalist. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now that feeling that feeling is coming soon from crowd network just search for death of a rock star on your podcast app and subscribe now john alcott there you go sound like a man you know i'm sorry no, that's, listen, man, it's coming back. Listen, white, straight white dudes are coming back, all right? I know you had a rough <laughs> previous decade, but when this, you just lay low. You think so? And it'll be, listen, it'll be, you do the comeback, man. It's all good. You know, everyone's got to have, see, they want to tear you down, and then you come back, you know, new and improved. <laughs> <laughs> it's out of style now, but I'm just saying, you know. Well, 
Mr. Alcult, John. Does anyone like it? Does, is Beaker? Is that like? Is that a side? Is that like your previous identity? No, you know, I still hear that sometimes. <laughs> There's a couple people around my job that know, you know, that know the name Beaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, even so, honestly, even I would feel bad sometimes calling that. I'm like, I'm like, I feel like he was Beaker. And now he's John. He's grown so much. <laughs> Am I doing him a disservice by using this? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's. Uh, I think there was, there was something that came up where. Oh wait, I know what it was. I was. We were playing one of those like mystery games. Where you have to guess pop culture, and Beaker came up, and I was like, Oh, my, my main man. <laughs> I miss him. Well, I I do I do miss you. Um, it's really great to see you. You know, we got to see each other. What was that six months ago something like that yeah over at the entertainment center yeah. arts center there whatever we, that place is called yeah yeah we we, we haven't seen each other in, in a while and, and it's kind of cool that we're here you know because your house in bethlehem pa i'm gonna put the address on this is that cool oh if people we, stop by uh, yeah sure man <laughs> <laughs> um but in your basement is where we wrote i'd say the what the last three albums three yeah. yeah. Do we write? I can't. Largely here. I don't think we wrote any Gone Forever here. Because when did you buy this house? Mm, 2003. Yeah. So yeah. So probably right around the time. But I don't think we were jamming up here. No. Not until, at that point. That until, happened after I'd been. Yeah. There. And uh, on Constitution, we. Uh, it was the first time we we had like enough money to like chill. I mean, were you actually, I can't remember if you were working. Because you was, always seemed to be working. Yeah, I definitely had a job yeah. somewhere. I don't remember what I was doing. At but that remember, time. we had like enough money to like be at home for what was it, six weeks or eight weeks to to write. So we we came here, and at first we're like, we'll write five days a week, Monday through Friday. And we were all we were all sleeping here, and after like one week, we're like, that's not gonna work. <laughs> Just everyone be on top of each other. So we did two days. We did Monday, Tuesday. We'd stay over, go home for Wednesday, come back Thursday, Friday, and we wrote constitution like that like six weeks you know so this is like very instrumental to everything with the band and then now he's turned it into a a, what what is it it's It's like a pre-k school down there yeah yeah. my my wife is uh, different no no weed ain't down there anymore no dude (laughs) that's all gone man all gone from the property speaking where's where's my beer you got you got oh my bad man i didn't grab one out of the cooler for you there's a wide selection here oh there is yeah oh snap (laughs) Hold on, should I? Let me see. Oh, this this won't reach. Hold on. You gonna reach? Uh. <laughs> there it is. It's got the provisions. Yeah. Listen, it, it helps when I had Corey on here. You know, we were we were sipping whiskey. You know. <laughs> yeah, I bet you were. <laughs> you know, some of some of some of the best interviews are are well lubricated. You know, <laughs> cheers. Cheers to you, sir. Yes, to yes. See you again. Yes, exactly. Likewise. Well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm working my way down the whole band. You know, obviously everyone wants to uh, get Dallas on, but like I didn't talk Dallas for a while. We just got reconnected, so we'll see see what happens with that. Matt's up next. You know, yeah, we're we're gonna, we're gonna get them all so, slowly but surely. I don't know where Matt is if he's in Seattle or like Belarus, where the hell he lives, in Bulgaria, Bulgaria, somewhere. You know, he's a he's a man of the earth. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I mean so. I guess the 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 key question is, you know, how has your kind of time been since, God forbid, disbanded? I, my transition to uh, civilian life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you kind of had a foot in civilian life because you didn't. It, was it 
Did you do the last last tour or did you do this not to the second last tour? The one we were on the bus. Were you on that one? Yeah, no, that's one of the ones I missed. Yeah. Yeah. So you really didn't do the last God forbid tour. I know, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Well, no one knew it was gonna be the last tour. <laughs> <laughs> did the last show, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which which also no one knew it was gonna be the last show. Yeah. No. But uh, no, my transition uh to civilian life here has been good, dude. It's like you said, I kind of had a foot in it before, like, I guess, what was it before? Determination. Yeah. You know, and I was, I was working at the, the newspaper and all that, and then left that. You know, we went on a crazy adventure. And uh, I don't know, since we've been finished, you know, as, as a band, it's been okay, man. I, the kind of timing happened. I was lucky to get a job offer at this place. I started as like a contract employee. And I uh, was doing real simple stuff. And then eventually uh, an opportunity happened kind of at the same time. I decided to, to go for that. So in that regard, as far as having a job and being able to support myself and then a family, it's been it's been good, man. I miss a lot of things about the, you know, just playing, really. I played, you know, with a couple guys doing some cover songs and all that stuff. But yeah. playing original music and getting to do a show with a proper band in front of people is, is what I miss. Not so much the whole touring yeah. lifestyle and the the big mess that that can be but well you know. it's it's so that is it's you're in you're in you're out and i think yeah. and it's not everyone's not really built for it i mean even i remember you had certain times where you weren't it was like you weren't vibing with it and yeah. you know it's and it bears mentioning you're a little older than byron and Corey, but you're even even more older than you know than myself in, yeah. in Dallas, so you were you know kind of you know the elder statesman in, in the band from that respect. But you also, you know, seemingly like I said, you were, you had a real job. We were all doing bum ass <laughs> jobs that we didn't care about. You know, you kind of had established yourself in terms of responsibility and kind of living as an adult. So you were probably when the band got really got signed and started touring were sacrificing the most i guess maybe in the sense of not having the normal you know textbook lifestyle and stuff yeah. and having money and all that stuff but I, I don't know like maybe maybe call it a trade you know trade that for something you know this incredible adventure that you could never go on otherwise unless you take that leap yeah and do it yeah so i don't know sacrifice in some sense but i never looked at it that way yeah. i was definitely naive yeah to the ways of the world and and human beings <laughs> what do you mean uh meet people from all walks of life and everybody whether because they're just crazy or because they're uh you know properly lubricated at that moment in time you meet all these people and they, sometimes you're meeting the real person and other times you're meeting the person that's that's out for the night yeah. acting crazy and doing wild stuff you it's know? there like every you know for you know every person that comes to the show it's their friday night yeah. basically yeah you get to get to see a lot about human nature yeah and that's the thing i maybe i wasn't sheltered but i don't know naive is the best word i could use i think <laughs> it's like, why didn't you tell me these motherfuckers rolled like this <laughs> oh man well you know i i think a lot about back in the day because you know it it wasn't god forbid you know and i'm just kind of saying this to people who may or may not know the history of the band but it wasn't god forbid until you joined the band right there were different um iterations the band was called manifest destiny and byron was playing bass and we had a different singer 
and then it was called Insalubrious. Salubrious. And Byron started singing, and then we had uh, Lisa, female bass player, um, and we put out some some you know bad demos, and then a not so bad demo. But you know, let, I want to talk about when you first jammed with us. So this was either bef- probably before Lisa joined or, or, or something. But you, you know, you were you were friends with with uh, Corey and and Byron. Yeah, you went to high school with them. High school, junior high school, yeah. yeah, yeah. So and was in marching band with uh, with Corey for a number of years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and were you like hanging out with them at that time, or is it just you were just still kind of in each other's circle? You know, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I was hanging out with Corey, and I think that's why I was probably there in the first place was that I knew he and Byron were in a band and stuff, and and were jamming. I don't even recall where it was the first time. Was it a big noise? Yeah. At Room C, yeah, the infamous Room C, yeah. I, I do what I remember about that is just saying, you know, like I was there and hearing like cool riffs and stuff, and I was like, "Fuck, man, you, this is, this is the kind of shit like I'm interested in," you know, and and saying if you ever need a bass player, yeah, let me know. But I don't know if Lisa was still with the band or no. I think if it was I didn't been before the opportunity or something. My memory was like, it was either one of two things: either you were just like. This is cool, but I'm just I'm not really into it right now. Or I can't remember if it was just thing where you just weren't that like like in terms of just playing, it was kind of like on the back burner. And then when you came back to the band, you were just taking your playing a lot more seriously. Is that like I can't remember which which one which scenario was. I mean, that's definitely an accurate description. I took it a lot more seriously playing and and trying to keep up with you dudes. Certainly, you know, playing stuff that was out of my comfort zone like faster things what we were doing i mean it must have been strange because i i think essentially we were a lot like you in that even though like i guess your influences were more like traditional whether it's uh maiden or sabbath or or metallica metallica things things like that that was all our stuff too but then from like 96 between you know, maybe 98, that's when we discovered the hardcore scene and all this really extreme music. So we were kind of taking all of the Megadeth and the Pantera and the stuff, Solera, stuff you were familiar with, but then we, we found this whole other style. You know, like and that, adding in the breakdown parts and, and other And just the crazy timing stuff and yeah. the just out of kind of box, the out of the box thinking, you know, kind of blending all that together, you know, which I, I wonder... You know, but I think that's what made it unique at the time. Yeah. And it was definitely different, like for me, yeah. from what I was hearing. Because I didn't really know, especially like you guys turned me on to the, some of the hardcore stuff I knew or whatever, but a lot of the, like the Swedish metal yeah. and stuff like that, that I just didn't even, I wasn't aware of at that point, honestly. Well, a lot of people weren't. Yeah. Because it wasn't, I mean, half that shit, either the bands, like At The Gates and Carcass had broken up by the time that happened. You know, In Flames hadn't come over yet. Opeth hadn't come over, you know, yeah. Meshuggah, like, like we saw Meshuggah on their first time, like they had played Milwaukee Metal Fest and they, then they came back and did this like five shows at Cannibal Corpse. And that was their first tour, five shows. We went to go see them at the truck, like, and the half the records you couldn't get on, like, unless it was on import, you know, or they would be, you know, like, I mean, half the time we would get these, uh, like nuclear blasts, like compilation CDs Comps, or yeah. videos. And you just like, you hit, you just hear like a song by some band and you're just like, the fuck is <laughs> that's how i heard pantera for the first time yeah. actually it was it was concrete corner or something like that this cassette tape you know oh, well concrete was their management company they were on probably. yeah maybe i guess maybe they put out the these compilations at the time i'm not even sure but yeah 
it was called the concrete corner i'm pretty sure it was the name of like the compilation series that they put out yeah yeah but um so but what was the difference when it was actually because i remember when you actually came back and we had you know <laughs> so <laughs> basically lisa the old bass player was dating dallas so we we all liked Lisa, but we were kind of happy that she was out of the band because it was just less drama. You know, it was just like one less thing to think about. And, you know, and she she did have skill. Like she went to MI, um, but she had a kid. She worked a lot, so she couldn't necessarily put maybe as much time in um, as someone else. But when you got there, I just remember it seemed like you had the eye of the tiger and you were just like, it was like, yo, this motherfucker's a machine, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you guys, like, you, like everything that you dudes were doing at that point was making me hungry because, yeah. I don't know, I just thought it was cool because there was nothing else. You know, you jam with friends and you jam with people you know and you play music that, you know, usually sucks or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> it's yeah. like, all right, well, that's cool, but it could be better. But I, I don't know. There was just something about it that was, like, enticing and it made me want, you know, obviously want to be there. I don't know. uh I guess it started making me play a little bit harder. Yeah. Not just to physically keep up with the the stuff you were playing, but uh, just because, I, I don't know, I wanted to be there. Yeah. You know, and we were doing original music, which was cool because I had done some stuff before, but I don't know, none of it was that exciting or or well put together. You know, it was just cool. Had groove and, and the riffs were cool. It wasn't like uh, the, the riffs were good. What else? I can't yeah. really say too much else <laughs> besides Just that, there, you know? there for the riffs. Yeah. <laughs> That and the characters too. Yeah, you know, I didn't know you dudes too well yet, but you know, Corey and Byron. Obviously, we had our time together. <laughs> Did it feel weird to be kind of in a band with younger people? Like, was that did that throw you off, or maybe make you think twice or anything? No, I never thought twice about yeah. it. It's just more about what everybody was playing and how it was, yeah. how it sounded and came. Yeah, together. But I don't know if we were acting like you know immature <laughs> idiots or whatever. <laughs> I guess there was that, that almost generational difference or yeah. whatever. Yeah. You know, well, so, so I'm 39. I'll be 40 in, you know, like four months or something. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It, it gets all of the us. Time passes fast. <laughs> it does. It does. So what you were like, you're so what, six years old, me, seven years old? 447 now, I'll be 48 in November. Yeah. Damn. I don't, damn, I don't think I even realized you were that much older than me. Yeah. Damn. That's crazy. Old man. <laughs> yeah but like, like like i said it was it, it was um it was a unique character in that you know because there's the obvious element of oh here's the black band or or whatever <laughs> that even at the time you know when we were playing locally or getting to know people that was still kind of how we were regarded to to, to some degree and you know you being you know kind of the non-black dude in the in, in the band i mean that was that you know was that something that i mean i don't i'm like i said i'm not going to speak for you mm -hmm. but i could definitely to me it's like i i would never think that was a thing for you but i wonder if you got any kind of odd feedback from other people or anything like that i don't recall getting any like what what do you do with those blackies? Yeah, you know, like yeah, exactly. I never, I don't recall ever having any negative, yeah. you know, statements said to me. Yeah. You know, for being in that that place with, you know, 
<laughs> where I was the token, the token white dude or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, it felt pretty normal around here. Like it's very, it, well, here I mean, meaning you know, like New Brunswick and Somerset and that area. Like and it was in the tri-state area. Yeah, it's very like integrated. Coast. Yeah, you know, so it's it seemed like even when we got into the hardcore scene, it was like you know, Hispanic dudes and Italian dudes, and it was just like kind of everybody. Yeah. More or less. And then you meet white dudes and they would act more hood than anybody, <laughs> you know, in, in, in New Jersey. So it almost didn't really matter. Almost. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, listen, I think I think about that stuff because I mean, right now we're kind of in this moment, right, of like racial, uh, you know, like a reckoning, yeah. like, you know, where everyone has to kind of reexamine where they're at, how they feel, to some degree. I mean, I know, I know for some people it, it just enrages them. So just they want to not have to think about it, or like you know, just why can't we just be people? And it's like that'd be great, but you know, unfortunately, we're just we kind of have to work, work, work through it. But but me thinking about that stuff, it's like I go back to this time period, you know, when it's like you know, it was it was a thing, but it wasn't an issue. If that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I guess, in, especially in the case of playing in a metal band and stuff, first, you know, it's like, wow, here's some some black dudes playing metal. Yeah, and that's you know, off my radar number one to the the average Joe Smo listener. They're like, they're like, they don't even they don't even include me. <laughs> <laughs> we are a multiracial band. First off, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh. What um, so the first demo we did out of out out of misery um we didn't know it was gonna be called that at at, at the time but that was you know I don't, I don't know if you remember where were actually no you actually don't think you were there for this when we wrote uh mind eraser no i was not because it was in the band and because you guys wrote that in her garage in her garage yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> yep <laughs> um you know actually though let's even go let's even go after that because i think it's kind of more important because at, at that time you know, that that was like our demo and then Brian Bonilla put it out. And we were like playing these these hardcore shows, and um, you know, but reject the sickness. I mean, you were you were there for mm -hmm. for for pretty much everything that we were that we were doing. Um, you know, what what do you kind of remember about you know like like recording the record, for example, with like Steve Evitz and kind of everything around that album? Just that that was like a definite step up. Like, yeah, you know, like for us as a band, but just in general and things like I had done personally in my life, you know, as a musician, like, oh, wow, you know, there's actual support here of some kind and you're actually in a professional recording studio with a guy that, you know, is a producer and knows what he's doing. It was yeah. an unusual situation <laughs> and, <laughs> to be in. And not because I didn't think we were like, you know, that, that we were like undeserving of it or something because we were, you know, doing stuff. It was just unusual not ever having done that before. You yeah. Know, you're like doing the stuff you read about, you know, your, your hero is doing, being in the studio and they got this producer or that one. Yeah, it was exciting, you know, definitely at the time to have that all happening, you know, for you. Do you, so these, do you remember how you feel when it, when you actually heard the finished product? Oh, yeah. I mean, every, every time we recorded was exciting. I mean, I guess that album, especially because it was one of the first ones with real production quality and all that. But I mean, it was. I mean, we went from sounding bust, old and busted to new, <laughs> new hotness. <laughs> That's true. But it, it was exciting, like every level. You know, you do like you have the songs, and it's, it's exciting because you're playing them together. 
and then you get into the studio and you know some of the there's scratch tracks there and then you get the drums oh wow yeah it's all the timing is good now and the tone is there you know even if it's not mixed yet and you move on to the next thing and you start stacking up all the layers and then the mix comes and it's like oh my god you know it sounds like 20 times as huge as it did in your mind before were you in the studio when he was actually mixing it <sighs> i don't recall like what so I, particular moments i do remember so because if you weren't there because what basically like <laughs> steve would be in there and he he's when he's you know he mixed the whole record it wasn't it's like literally the album's like 30 minutes long or something but he mixed the record and i want to say two and a half days or three days mm -hmm. and you know he's just, basically like he would not let you in the room while he was mixing he's like you go in the fucking lounge and i'm doing work you know you'll come in here and, and listen to it i recall that and and eric as well doing the same yeah. thing like i'm gonna work for a while yeah and then you come back but yeah. you know but so this was analog recording so they'd have a board with automatic faders so they would actually have the mix They'd have to actually run through it like a performance, like yeah. turning this effect up, having this come down, and they would and they'd auto automate the board, and you know, and then basically he would, uh, you know, let us come in and, and listen to a song, and I remember it must have been like like Weather the Storm or something like that, and we heard the toms, and I was like, <laughs> like yo. Oh my God! I think my dick is hard. <laughs> I, I didn't know it could be so good. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, because I you know at that time. You know, we would, you know, we'd listen to Morbid Angel or Machine Head, um, you know, or, or In Flames or these bands that we Suffocation. like. These bands you just put on a pedestal and it was so, you know, it seemed like unattainable to get a great recording because you thought you needed a label, you needed this money, you needed, you know, this. So it was like, you know, and it was this idea is like, oh, do you have to be so this good to sound that good or if you or is it the producer that makes you sound good like it was like a mystery you know back then of like how you actually did it and um and to kind of get something that felt professional and seen and seemed comparable to the artists that we um oh, idolized wow. you know it was like really like just 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 mind-blowing and then you know then when it was done and then we started showing like our friends in the scene it was like it was kind of like like that one-to-one -one, all of a sudden we were like legitimate yeah. and and i don't know if you, you remember but that's we basically sent the the record well uh steve evitz and and alan douches sent it to central media for us right. i and, do recall and, that, and yeah. it was literally just like i got the call we want to sign you yeah. right now <laughs> which never happens you know i do recall that yeah and that, that in itself was an amazing change as well because uh you know, then all of a sudden you have like an even bigger label support or whatever. You know, that, I don't know. So at that time you were you were still working at, at the newspaper, right? Yeah, yeah, I would have been at that point. And um, so something like getting you know a record deal offer, you know, something like that, or or kind of even kind of contemplating like, oh, my life might change, or like maybe I might because just because you get a record deal doesn't mean you're gonna on tour or anything that's like a whole other other thing but uh what did you even feel about about that like having a re like a record deal by a label that has artists that you like and respect uh again exciting <laughs> but uh, yeah like i didn't have any i didn't like foresee some great life change coming yeah because of this you know it was just like i just i was excited about that and had that realization that wow you know there's a lot more 
potential here now, you know, to actually go and do something besides just being weekend warriors or whatever, playing all the local hardcore shows that we could, yeah. you know, because you have this support here now and this resource. Yeah. So I felt excited about that. Didn't consider it like what lifestyle changes could happen and, you know, actually doing it full time like that, had that realization, like, wow, this is like what these big bands do that are just bands. You know, they don't go to work when they come home from doing the show. They just are a band. Yeah. You know? And here's, here's another path towards that. It's, it was exciting. <laughs> it was not intimidating. Yeah. Just, I don't know, very, very new. Again, because I was naive to all the ways of this, too, like the, the way the music industry I mean, we were works. too. We were, too. I mean, yeah. we, we didn't know anything. We were all kind of figuring out as, as we went. And I guess now that I think about it, I mean, you know, I guess probably Dallas and I were probably at the forefront of a lot of the business dealings or kind of dealing with the managers and, and, and labels and stuff. I mean, was that kind of weird, like being maybe not having all of the kind of firsthand control of it and kind of being like brought uh, opportunities instead of, you know, like, did it feel like, you know, maybe like, hey, should I even trust these guys to be handling this thing or that thing or? Not in so much as trusting you guys. Like, yeah, I did trust you. Yeah, it was just like the people that, you know, we are starting to think about and trusting, you know, yeah. should I trust them? You know, why should I trust you? Because yeah. yes, I'm a suspicious person. <laughs> <laughs> don't tread on me. <laughs> oh, you know, like, I, I don't know if uh, I'm overly controlling yourself. Definitely yeah. in my own, you know. Well, I don't, but the thing is, uh, but I, but the thing is, I didn't even think about it till recently mm -hmm. where I'm like, because now I'm in a position where I'm not the main guy in my band or I'm not the one making it. So I have to kind of wait for other people to do things and then it kind of you know falls down and so now i have a different perspective on that um and i'm I was just wondering if like if that was weird but i guess i think all bands more or less have a some type of hierarchy yep um and not so much it's just like hey i'm running shit you shut up it's just like hey this guy's good at doing this one thing and this person is good at doing this thing so it just kind of naturally kind of falls that way yeah, sometimes no, i agree i mean some people are have better they're they're better at some things than others like you guys are very good and, and interested in being involved with the business aspect of it yeah you know, well for us kinda... what, to me it wasn't business it was more like networking mm -hmm. right like we were just out at the shows all the time and meeting the meeting these people and meeting those people and kind of like all right you know we'd have like the uh i might they might even exist somewhere just like notebooks with like written down like here's the the number to this venue you know cc's and music and like <laughs> you know and you you know we would like go on uh what was that the east coast hardcore website and they would have uh they would just list all the shows the hardcore shows coming up in the area and so you just see a venue and you'd like okay well, i'll write that name down and looking like you know the yellow pages or something somehow you'd find the vet and you literally just call the venue and yeah. there'd be a guy and it's like <laughs> Hey man, can we play your venue? It's like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> it's like, nigga, I don't know you. How many people can you draw? Uh, uh what? <laughs> your, your phone cracked up. I don't. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. I mean, it was, it was, it was stuff like that. And I, I remember around that time, you know, we were kind of, you know, we had these these moments, you know, uh, that always like really motivating, or actually like they were cr soul crushing, but also ultimately motivating. Right, like, so people like we had a song called "Asked Out" on "Reject the Sickness" that was about that we had bad luck and that we were just shot. <laughs> and I think about so 
the first time we went to record out of misery the studio just broke do you remember that yeah the D, the dat player or recorder yeah it didn't work and but, they were like yeah you gotta come back yeah but i remember <laughs> like we we got through like one take of the song and i remember it was just sounding so good in our headphones we're like that's right we're, and it was like yeah uh uh y'all have to go home <laughs> And kind of anticlimactic, yeah. I mean, and I can't think about how many van breakdowns and 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 things like that. And um, what was it? What was the other thing I was I, I was thinking about? They got they got screwed up. Um, damn it! I, I'm having a damn brain. Your train of thought. Hey man, it happens. <laughs> I had it, and then I started telling this other damn story. I went there uh, a couple oh, no. times already. It's I remember good. the Seven Dust show where we got where we we sold tickets to play with Seven Dust Obsessions. at Obsessions, yeah. and we didn't sell enough. So the promoter made us play after Seven Dust, and they it the show ran so late that after Seven Dust played, they shut the, the venue, and we're like plugging in our amps. They're like, "Yeah, dude, it's, it's it's wrapped up. Yeah, it's over." And that shit was like, "I think I'm gonna burn this motherfucker down." Yeah, you can't believe that kind of thing can actually happen to you. No, they just did it. Yeah, but I but in a weird way, I think it's like it's like it, it's depressing. But it's also like, for I think for me at least, it became this uh, motivation to like get revenge. It's like it's like the bull, the high school bullies who beat you up. You're like, I'm gonna lift weights and start taking karate so I can get revenge on this motherfucker. And I think it was like I want to get good and get successful just to prove these people like who spurned you wrong almost. Yeah, to prove that you deserve that level of respect to be able to actually play the show <laughs> or just or just even like it's like oh they only treat you that way because they don't they don't they think you're a local band or they think you're nobody or that you're not worthy of you know just treating just anyone like just human beings like human beings or whatever yeah you know it's true you run the characters like that everywhere too man like that that's one thing i was talking about this with, with a friend of mine the other day i just remember playing cbgb's and you know usually you, you suffer as the opening band in sound quality you know yeah. like they'll give you like a kick drum be like all right go you know like, <laughs> that's it but i just have recollections of being at that place and even if you opened a 20 band bill or something the audio engineer would kill would, it would yeah would try it and make you sound good like the first band sounded as good as the last you know yeah. and it was never any different than that in that particular place now that, that always impressed me about that yeah, or I mean, a lot, or it's like, who's the guy that used to do sound at uh, Middlesex? John Hiltz, is that what his name? Oh, I don't recall. But don't recall. Uh, yeah, they would have these shows at at, at the college, and um, this one guy, he was like a, a hardcore scene guy, and he would do a lot of shows. Manville Elks Lodge, he was always the if you were gonna do your own DIY show and you had actually a budget, he you know his PA was great, and he would just he would just kill it. Um, or even even like I was I had, you know was talking to Carl, like the Melody Bar always sounded sick, mm -hmm. you know, and actually no, oh, I think John Kohler. Did sound there? Who played guitar in, in uh, Nora? I think he. I think he really? might. Have, I'm pretty sure like he did melody? sound there. Oh, or I'm that. making that up. <laughs> That's all right. You know what I'm saying, there's no objective reality anymore. Anyway, you can just you know. Yeah, this is fake news, doc. That's right. Fake Al news. Alternative facts. <laughs> it, it's all good. Um, yeah. So, but the thing about uh, reject the sickness was Century Media wanted to buy the record. And the guy who who had paid for us to do the record um, with Nine Volt Records, uh, Brian Bonilla, didn't really want to sell it. He kind of felt bad, like they, he was getting like swooped in on. So he kind of like haggled with them. So they said, "Fuck it," and they just didn't buy the record. And so they're like, "Well, we'll sign you for your next album." Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was like we did 
Reject the Sickness and immediately had to go and write another album. And uh, it was like, which was kind of funny. That's almost probably like why you think where it's like, oh, we signed this deal, but it didn't really change anything because we had to just keep living our lives. And it's not like here you sign a record deal when you give you like a buttload of money. Yeah, it's going to be on a bus and a plane. Yes. No, <laughs> it was like, I think I'm trying to think what the, the budget was for determination. I want to say it was like 20 grand, maybe something that like seems that. Realistic. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and that all goes to the record. It's not like we're keeping any of that. You know, it was literally like we, we went to track seats and it was something like six fifty a day or something like that. And, and we, we got Zeus. So we we paid him like a fee. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, paid for the studio. Yeah. And it was and we did it like three weeks. And that was always a situation like as you're coming up to like with the label, it's like you, there's always a budget, but it's never enough yeah. for what you really want to do. Well, <laughs> it's all I, I've kind of noticed though in time, though, no matter how much time you get, mm-hmm. you tend to use it. Like it's like if you book two months, it's, it's never like, oh, we finished it two weeks early. No, <laughs> you're always like, well, you know, what, dude, let's get an orchestra and let's get a choir. And, uh, you know, I. <laughs> I have some like Tibetan monks that will do some chanting. Like you, the more time you have, the more you want to keep. Yeah, the more grandiose it gets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I know. So like, like every record that Godfrey did took longer. All of them, and I, and and they definitely, if you listen to them, there's more shit. It's just like layers and keyboards and extra vocal harmonies and and more production things, which I actually don't know is is a good thing. It, I. I think it's a good thing insofar like all that stuff gets better but also then having the the option to actually pick apart the songs and say you know what well, maybe we shouldn't even do this chorus yet here, yeah. or something like that and you know usually you have them kind of formed yeah. when you go in there but you have then the time where you actually can take it all apart and put it back together again and sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not yeah well i, I listen to equilibrium and a lot of it i'm like i feel like we did a little too much i'm like as long as we, we got to make another god forbid album i feel like i would make it more sparse like like if you listen to Gone Forever or something, there's just it's pretty much just drums, bass, two guitars, yeah. maybe a layer here or there, maybe a little keyboard part in like one spot in a song. But it's because I think when there's less stuff, you can just you can everything that's happening is just right there. You're not not reaching to hear things, you know. It needs to be that that's where it needs to be like very well produced though, so that one thing isn't stepping on another. Yeah, like there is that extra space, but it's only one certain thing that's becoming the focus at any one time you know yeah. you're not trying to steal the spotlight from the vocals or the guitar lead or whatever happens to be going on at that moment yeah no no no, no doubt i before i got here i, I listened to every album not top to bottom just i just got a little taste of like me put my put my mind in this um determination uh you know obviously this is the first century media album it's the first album we we toured on um i actually i have some vivid memories actually you recording Cause I remember, didn't you like bring in the Rickenbacker? And you, the Rickenbacker you had some crazy, you had some crazy setup in the studio for that. I'm trying to think what else we used there. It was definitely like that old SVT cabinet. Did you do a, a Lemmy style where you did a bass rig and a guitar rig? Yeah, we had a Marshall head through a half stack. Yeah, and then the old SVT tube head going through the eight by ten, the refrigerator cabinet, and combine that for the the low and the high end, like the grind sound. Yeah. I remember taking quite a while. I got black and white pictures of that rig somewhere, yeah. like the whole setup with the mics all over the place. It was sick. Yeah, it was but, cool. But I remember, didn't you track something with the with the uh, Rick Rickenbacker? It was like this sounds sick, but sick, but it didn't really blend with everything. Because you started doing it with the Rickenbacker, right? Yeah, but then wound up with something else. I don't yeah. even remember what now. Yeah, 
yeah, we did change because they had that. I don't know if it was like too scooped out sounding. Like it didn't have enough mid range to really be present. I remember it just. The way I had it tuned. Yeah. I just remember it on its own. It was like, this is the sickest sounding fucking thing. But unfortunately, when you're. We had done guitars first, I believe, right? More than likely, at least rhythm yeah. tracks. That's kind of how it would go. Drums, yeah. rhythm stuff, and then I would get in there somewhere. Um, and so you're kind of locked in in terms of like how it's going to fit, you know? So I, I remember something like that where it's like, this sounds really sick, but I think it just sounded a little harsh mm -hmm. against what was happening, if I, if I remember correctly. But, you know, I think, you know, th that record, um, you know, which is really cool, is you have the uh, the bass solo, yeah. Reflections of, of, of the Past, which basically happened in the studio because you were doing the, it was basically the bass line in the instrumental. Mm -hmm. God's last gift, and you, and we and somehow you guys, like how did that how did that come about in the studio? Remember, it's just an accident, sort of. You know, I started playing this one part, and then I wanted to layer something else because I had an idea about it. Yeah, I was like, oh, you know, let me do another thing and figure out the notes for that, and it just yeah, it just kind of built up to what it became, which turned out to be really cool. Yeah, there was I, no intention there to do that initially. Yeah, no, I think it it elevates the album a lot, and like listening to it, I'm like, why don't we do that more? <laughs> You know, because With just that instrument or in general, like other just instrumental I mean, solo type. Well, well, because, I mean, you're you're obviously uh, in, influenced by, you know, the great rock and metal guitar players, whether it's Cliff Burton or Keezer Butler. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you have, you know, it's you know, I've you know heard it from so many people, whether it's Zeus or Mark Lewis. And they're just like, yo, like Beaker's like, that's a fucking bass player <laughs> because, dude, in, in metal. There's just a lot of half the time it's just the guitar player who writes most of the stuff will play the bass because it's easier, um, or it's the b bass player in the band is just a guitar player who is playing bass. Had to do the bass, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know you were you know as far to me, as far as I was concerned in the at least in the genre that I knew about I mean to me better than like ninety nine percent of the bass players out there and I'm like and we, and thing was cool because we you know wasn't I I think me telling you what to play or anything it would maybe happen like a couple times on a record i was like oh can this but but other than that it was just like here's the riffs here's how it is but do your thing yeah what do you want to do yeah you know and you you got the freedom to like even if you didn't write the song or, or a certain part you had that space to kind of explore yourself what you wanted to do that made it cool though because i could actually do that and like not not stick out like a sore thumb but be be present you yeah. know, because of the movement the bass was making or, or the tone of it and stuff. Yeah, it was it was nice to have that freedom. And at the same time, like you said, there's a couple times where you guys had specific ideas. Yeah, but that was pretty rare, honestly. Yeah, you know, it was yeah, only a couple I mean, spots. I, yeah, really just a couple times that happened. And all the rest of the time, I just tried to to create some movement or something that would say, hey, you know, like you would detect then that the bass was doing something, but not make it so busy that it was distasteful and yeah. sticking out and be like, well, the guy is just trying to say hey, I'm here. You know, <laughs> I didn't want to be like that. Did you come up with that? Uh, you came up with the tag at the end of Go Your Own Way, right? It was like that. Uh, it's like. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah. That was you. And he, so I remember when he came up with this part, you know, he he's actually, I always felt like I was at that time, like alternate picking. I wasn't the greatest. I was all just about down picking. And, and, and you played. And he was like, yeah, so it's like this. I'm like, okay, okay, my mother. All right. <laughs> I do remember working on that in the old room C for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. 
But well, no, but it was you know that that was always cool because whether it was you or like you know Corey played guitar, so he would come up with really you know cool stuff, and you know, and everyone kind of had an uh, you know an ear for those things and, and was able to contribute in that way. But it's you know the way the way we wrote was really you know a product of its time that I don't like where we really would go into a room with nothing and just oh, I got a riff or figure something you know and just kind of like i don't know like it, it we really would compose in a room together so there's like especially with the first two records like half the parts i don't know who wrote what or who like came up like i don't remember it was just like we, we were collectively in a room figuring shit out and, I, and i'm sure there's some things where it's like oh i wrote this at home and then you bring it in and that, that was more like like gone forever and after yeah, or or you, you write something at home and then you bring it in like you're teaching it to somebody and of course you're not gonna play it the same way exactly. Yeah, like, ooh, that was better. Yeah, you know, and like, it you shifts. do it that way, you know, yeah. like yeah. Dude, you know what's funny is uh so before I, I moved away, I had all the four track I had four track tapes, mm-hmm. I had uh rehearsal tapes from Big Noise, like sick shit. Like shit that we wrote like we wrote in there like in a day that we forgot about. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I borrowed Chris Ross from Dora's four track, bounced everything down to digital, and then my computer and hard drive got stolen, so lost all that shit. But I had, but I, I bounced everything down, and I was like, I was like, I got it. And I was like, then I could just put this shit out like later. But it was, it was so much music, man. That you know, this by this time, after uh, determination, like we had our own four track, so it was like we started using this. Uh, I think it was Elisa's like drum machine and like we started writing stuff with that and then like so like like I had like a demo of Antihero that's literally the beginning of the song all the way to like the to literally to the solo mm-hmm. it's the like it's exactly it's the song pretty yeah. much yeah yeah but that didn't happen until that album where it was like comp- actually composing something or you know yeah and then bringing it into rooms so i hear i got all this you know yeah, yeah. which which is actually kind of tough for the band because like you had you know someone like because Corey first like, at the time he was living with us at our dad's house and it was like some kind of like issue but and he was like helping program stuff but it's like we would come in with like program stuff and he would be like mad because <laughs> it's like i'll write the drums and it's like which i get you know in a lot of ways but then it's also like well i'm coming up with a fully realized concept where everything kind of has to work for it, the idea to be the idea mm-hmm. you know but um anyway i feel like i'm getting a little, a little ahead of myself that's part of where the band grew though yeah it's like individuals like because you know i'll get butt hurt too sometimes like if you bring in an idea and you're like no nah, that sucks you know somebody else you're like damn i thought that was the best riff of all time you know you just shot it down in the first five seconds you know well, but then you learn not to get hurt by that and be like all right yeah you know maybe it does suck it's not e- it's not easy and i think now it's like like with Bad Wolves, for example, there's so many writers and like certain dudes will like, instead of like, oh, I'm, I got this riff, they'll go with like a producer and come back and the shit sounds like an album. And so it's a lot of times it's about how it's presented, mm-hmm. right? So if you, instead of like, hey, I'm gonna show you this riff of rehearsal, here's this fully realized song, top to bottom, where you can, you don't have to like imagine what it'll sound like. It's like, this is what it's gonna sound like, you know? And so is that good or bad? Like, do, do people still get, People still they hear it and they're like, "No, nah, I don't like it." Well, it, or, it, or, it it puts you in a situation where you have to, if you're going to present an idea, it has to be pretty well realized. Like it can't level. It, it can't be yeah. It can't be too much of the sketch pad. It's got to be like 
because if it doesn't sound good enough, people are like, yeah, it's kind of shot. Yeah. They won't be able to like see kind of what it will be with a little imagination, you know. But um, so when we did determination, that's when we actually started touring. Yeah, for right. full time. Yeah, and I remember Dallas and I—we were already pretty much living at home, and then you know Byron, Byron was living at home, and then you moved back home, right? During that time, yeah, I was at home. Yeah, yeah. Well, and was that like a bug out? <laughs> well, like you, how did that even? exist in your head like okay i'm gonna because could 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 you go back to your job yeah like i i left i actually gave me an unpaid leave which yeah. is crazy for like a year and two months yeah i left and they you know it took me out to lunch like good luck you know <laughs> we hope you know wish you the best hope you become a rock star <laughs> and, you know we did all our thing and then the you know like the album cycle kind of ramped down and i came back and like okay you know i walked back into work and back into my job and stuff it was kind of kind of strange to to do that yeah. after all that touring cycle happened but was it was it just weird though just like i don't think people really realize like we didn't make any money no not on that we were spending money to be out there really i mean it was like you go on a tour i think you know on our first tour we were making hundred dollars so one or 150 a night 150 yeah. you know some and sometimes the shows would be different like oh 50 dollars on this night 200 you know depending on, on on what show it was and i'm and like i said i was 19 years old or 20 years old or whatever. So I I never had money before that. And I, and it, it was kind of like, you know, I, I just didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just happy to be out, you know. Um, but was that like an adjustment kind of mentally? Or were you kind of like me? Like, fuck it, we're on the road. I guess it was an adjustment. And like, yeah, I was a little more free to spend money on whatever bullshit I wanted to, you know, before that or something. But it was just, it was like a change. It wasn't a big deal. I wasn't like, oh my God. How am I going to live, you know, with this kind of lifestyle now? It's beneath me or something. It was just, you know, it was different. But it was like, again, there's that trade-off, you know, like, all right, maybe I can't go and do or buy whatever. But now I'm doing this thing that, you know, half a fraction of a percent of people get to actually go out and do, you know, yeah. play music in front of people all over the place. That was way more worth it than buying the latest edition of, you know, whatever, you know. <laughs> what about when we went on, you know, we finally started getting, like, the bigger tours, the cradle of filth tours is that kind of a bug out for you yeah it was cool to have that kind of exposure and be put up in front of that many people a night and get paid you know a little more or whatever be able to then we got 250 on that tour we yeah you know we were big pimping staying <laughs> got, at the red roof in or whatever well, all that's in how one we, room <laughs> we got to that's how we got to bring hoss because we <laughs> hoss is our first um uh roadie you know and he basically like wrote uh drove the van and and uh and sold sold merch for us and his first night on the job <laughs> we're driving uh we're he's like we basically pick everyone up it's like midnight or and we're gonna drive through the night because we got a show in chicago the next day or the day after and uh our we're driving through pennsylvania route 80 yeah and the bearing seizes on our back wheel and it flies off yeah and uh <laughs> we're all asleep and all i and basically the van flips around so that there's a tractor trailer coming towards us and like the van is kind of like seeing is it now kind of facing facing the, and there's like you know mountain sides on on all, all all sides of us and what i remember what me i was asleep is beaker coming and rescuing me like superman <laughs> <laughs> come on motherfucker <laughs> threw me over his shoulder <laughs> yeah that that was scary dude i remember i think i, I was like 
I remember Dallas cracking on me because I was like, hold on, hold on. Like, <laughs> trying, to, trying to rescue everybody, like you said. Yeah, trying to be hero dude or something. Well, it was him. It was you and then the the truck driver. Yeah, the he truck, came running in the he side. He came of the in. Van. He's like, y'all need to get out here. This thing's on fire. Yep. You know, and yeah, so the back wheel, like, I guess the, that fluid's like really hot. Well, yeah, because the bearing was so hot there. Yeah. It was like glowing orange. The grease was all catching on fire coming out of the, the rear end of the van. And, yeah, that's why he ran up. It's kind of but, amazing that the van didn't catch on fire, like, for real. We got lucky twice on that. You remember the other van that we rolled into the service station? Yeah. Now, this yeah. is later now in our illustrious career of it was, van tours. We were in South Dakota? <laughs> yeah. Something like that. Yeah, we were supposed to – we were trying to get to, like, Denver. I, for, I forgot where the fuck we were going, but we were coming down uh, – I think, oh no, we're going to Omaha. We're going to Nebraska. Okay. And uh, we were just get, we were just getting home. We had a couple shows just to get get home, and we pulled over <laughs> in this rest stop, and we didn't know our shit was fucked. With like the other shit was fucked up. With it was the making noise though. Yeah. No. It was like, what it, is that? it was fucked, and the whole wheel was red orange. It looked like the ter- like Terminator Two. Yeah, yeah. Like it was about to seize, and like I remember someone threw water on it. It was like. And so we were like, yep, we're not going anywhere. And then a tornado came through. <laughs> True story. <laughs> and then and then I remember uh, these, like, everyone was locked up in the rest stop. Like, it was like uh, like a horror movie. Like, everyone was just like, we're all stuck here now. And, they, you know, it was like, we need some shotguns and some pitchforks. It's like our own, our own version of Twister or whatever yeah. that was about to happen. Yeah. But it was kind of cool. You know what I always noticed? Like, every time we broke down... We would be like in some, you know, some random ass place, middle America, and every people would always help us. Yeah, like locals would just be like. I remember one time the van fell in a little ditch, <laughs> and a dude pulled us out with a tractor in Kansas. And then that time, all these dudes literally got us in their pickup trucks and drove us around till we found a hotel because we couldn't find yeah. a hotel. Like, and then and then when the first thing happened, we became friends with everyone in the town. Yeah, do you remember the name of the town? Uh, Kyler's Town. Yeah, Kyler Town, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I can't forget it now. <laughs> you know, and you know, but th- by the way, this is continues the asked out <laughs> tradition. You know, but I remember it, like I would be mad because I'd be thinking about the shows are missing, and then at a certain point, I would just, I would just say fuck it, and it was like whatever, man. Pass the bong, <laughs> get some donuts. <laughs> you know you're stuck in that situation. Then it's like, well, I, I can see that this is not going to change immediately. So yeah. let me enjoy myself. <laughs> yeah, and we, and we were lucky too because the the label helped us out a few times. You know, they helped pay for the van breaking the first time. Yes. And, but that but that thing when you're making like no money, and then you're, something goes wrong, it's like not only do you lose the money from the shows, but you don't even really have money to pay for the the fuck up. Like that's how you know we were just shot. Yeah, uh, that happens many times, missing shows and causing budgetary problems. Oh, yeah. Do you, do you remember when we did, I guess it was summer festivals. I'm jumping around now. No, that was right. 2009, and we were at the, a festival in Spain, and we weren't supposed to play. Cobet de San. No, no, no. Oh, no, no, that one, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, I remember that one. And like, dude, so I was going to sleep. Rick was I've going to, to sleep. I've told this story so many times. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows it already? I don't know if they know it, but it's I, I tell it because it's, it's the funniest fucking thing because... Yeah, we rolled up to this festival in Spain, and we, it was a day off, and we literally just rolled up so that we could get shore power and free beer, and, well, free, and, <laughs> and, and 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 raid catering. Yeah, we go to catering, right? And this shit was out in the desert. It was windy, and when when uh, darkness fell, it was cold as yeah. fuck. And we were just—I remember, like, you know, I was watching uh, 
Opeth played and like Paradise Lost and it was you know and it was like this fucking festival it was like two or three weekends yeah in a row like big. And it, no, but it wasn't big. There was like fucking fifteen hundred people well, the, there. It was made to be big, yes, yeah. but yeah, it was shot, <laughs> not well attended. Yeah, and so the, we we did it. And uh, Fear Factor was supposed to play. They had canceled because they were part of some lawsuit. And Heaven and Hell was supposed right. to headline. And I remember. And basically, <laughs> these motherfuckers faked an injury. They're like, "Oh yeah, uh, uh, Dio turned an ankle. <laughs> we can't play." That's not what happened. These motherfuckers saw this shot ass festival and they're like, "Fuck this shit. <laughs> Keeping our ass on the bus. It's cold. It's windy." And we're over there, we're watching fucking uh, Saxon. And Saxon, these motherfuckers have 600 guitar cabinets on stage. They have risers and walkways, and they're epic. And all the bands are watching them. They're like, ah! And uh, whatever 1,500 people there, it looked like 5,000. They were amped up. And they basically asked us to play because all these bands canceled. And, they were, and our tour manager, Luke, rolls up and he goes, oh, everyone's asleep. And he goes, they've all asked you to play the festival They've offered you 3,000 euros. I go, ask for more money. <laughs> he comes back. Uh, they've offered you 4,000 euros. And I'm, I'm tired. Ask for more money. <laughs> and he comes back. And, they asked, and then he offered us five. And I, I was like, everybody get up. <laughs> and it basically, we, we paid. What we did is we put half the money towards the tour and just split the rest of the money up. Yeah, that, that's... What I was getting to the point, though, was just the fact that we, you know, our budget needed rescuing, and that was like some random thing that happened that time. I don't think we realized the budget needed rescuing, but it, at, when it was all said and done, it was like, oh, yeah, we kind of did need that money. Yeah, you know? it worked out. Yeah, yeah. It, it was until the next tour where the budget fucking <laughs> crashed into a mountain. We were on Mayhem Fest, <laughs> and I had a mental breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the stories I could tell. <laughs> I, listen, it, 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 it comes up on here a lot because, you know, a lot of... Uh, one of the reasons why I started this show is to like kind of process everything, you know, the, the why, the how, you know, how, you know, what kind of, you know, how does something that's at the time, you know, cause it's weird cause my, my memory, it's like the really shitty times of the band. I don't remember that well. Really? Yeah. Like, like I remember the 2012 trespass story, like five finger. I was just like, I was just like over it. You know, and I just don't have that many like, like of like playing show the playing the shows. It's just kind of vague, you know. But then the you know it's like Ozfest. I remember so much of that and that whole period or you know European tours we did. It's like I'm you know I just remember so much. You know, hanging out in the bus and hanging out with these people and you know. But yeah, like certain periods where it's just if I wasn't feeling it or just you know it's and I think some of that is like um, some of it might have been travel conditions, like you know. With the, yeah. When we were doing that, you know, we had like that. We had to be there what twelve thirty or no, one or something. No sleep. Yeah, and a lot of the drives were overnight. And like you and Byron were like the night heroes, man, because yeah. you could actually stay awake all night and drive. And I would do the early stuff or whatever. We were all kind of getting worn by that point yeah. because of that. You know, we had to keep leaving and driving overnight. Well, no, I was I was angry because I was I I remember we, when we were trying to put that together. I was like, I remember I was, I was like, well, I was like, we need a driver. I remember like we were trying to figure out what resources we, we 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 needed and i was like we need a driver yeah. and then yeah it was just those are those are the rough times those, yeah. that's when things it was like as i say the, the the beginning of 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 the end um but we're, not, but we're not there yet um but yeah so you know we we pretty much did all the touring for um determination and then you know gone forever though i think it was like our kind of breakout mm -hmm. album you know in terms of just like 
um, the way we wrote songs, because before that, everything was, our songs were pretty fucking crazy. Just like lots of riffs, lots of changes, lots of weird time. You know, it's like you, like when's the last time you played nothing from Determination? <laughs> it's been a long time. Dude, yeah. there's, you know, there's things like where it's, you. I have to count. You know, it's like, what, huh? Who, who did what? Um, you know, and then we, it was a real shift to kind of be more, I guess, traditional or concise. Yeah. And, um, did you, you know, cause like I said, just knowing the stuff you liked musically, uh, did you like seem to appreciate the kind of change to something a little more kind of controlled sounding? Hmm. I appreciate the change to something more controlled sounding. Don't worry, there's no, there's not, I'm not grading the Is answer. A test? No, no. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I felt like maybe. I mean, I embraced whatever we did. Really, yeah. I tried to because it was always. I don't know. We're always evolving, but I felt like maybe more people. It, it made it possible so more, even more people would get into us because it was a little simpler. Yeah, it wasn't so like hard to touch and, and extreme a lot of the time. Like determination, was yeah. Like the sickness was, yeah. It, it was a good progression, certainly. You know, it wasn't like it was bad getting simpler or something. It was. It was like like Metallica or something. Yeah. Going from and justice for all and total chaos and ridiculous song lengths to this blueprinted, you know, super produced thing. It yeah. was awesome. You know, did you ever any any periods that you didn't like? You know, we'd be working on some stuff. And like, ah, I don't know about this. <laughs> like during that album, or just in general? In general, well, sure. Yeah, I mean, everybody has stuff they don't like or whatever. But not not anything specifically. No, and like not. It's not like oh, there's a song on a record somewhere that oh, I hate that thing and it sucks and I wish it was never there. No, just you know, like at the time there'd be a riff and be like, Meh. I don't remember specific riffs. Like yeah. I can hum it to you now and say I remember this one. It really sucked. <laughs> what about do you have like a favorite record or a period of the band musically like as far as a musical period and the, the album progression probably constitution of treason yeah i guess yeah seemed to be but then the albums thereafter were awesome too in their own way i don't know i just i don't want to say any of them was the best or my favorite yeah. or whatever because they were all at the time it was like my favorite because i felt like every time we recorded something it did get better and it was like always this you know step up every time i never felt like we you know simplified too much or took a step backward sonically well, or anything i, like I think at a certain point it didn't i think it i think gone forever was the simplification and then from that period out it kept getting more and more complex with you the know. productions and stuff yeah Pro and productions and, and just and the playing and the the arrangements when you look at earth's blood it's like then the songs start getting to the six seven eight minute yeah. long range and, and a lot of the, the technically a lot of that stuff is is kind of no joke it's further ahead yeah you know for sure and even even equilibrium like I was, the stuff i was writing i was like you know playing along to him like god damn this is some little should should have been relaxing <laughs> that album was great because of the contrast between you and, and matt and your different styles yeah yeah that made it really cool and we're not there yet but we're there <laughs> well <laughs> no it's it. it's it's funny about that album because you know, I always feel like whatever album you're working on now, the previous one you like the least when you're working on your new album, right? So it's almost like every album is the response to the previous one. 
Like, what didn't I? What didn't work for me in the last one? Or what do I want to change about yeah. we did the last one? And so that since that's the last one we did, it's probably the one I'm the most critical about currently. Where I'm like, yeah, you know, it's pretty good, but you know, you know. <laughs> uh, because you know me, I was very egalitarian. You know, in terms of like, I wasn't. I never tried to like because it was this weird thing because Dallas was gone. Yeah. But I, it wasn't like I wasn't like, all right, motherfuckers. My shit now. <laughs> shit now. <laughs> you know, I was, you know, in many ways, I, I was like in a weird space and, and Matt came in and kind of provided a lot of inspiration, I think, for everyone. Well, and it was a different working partner, especially for you. And yeah. so far as writing guitar parts, you know, it's your brother and, you know, his, his demeanor at times or whatever would probably, you know, cause a different result <laughs> in, in, in the songwriting process, yeah. you know. Well, you know, Matt's just a different person than, than Dallas is and yeah, was but at that he, point. He would come in, like, there's a, at least two or three songs on that album that are pretty much a version of what he had already written. Matt, yeah, yeah. And then we would just, and then I would kind of take that or we would take that and just put more of our kind of emphasis or, like, spin on it to make it sound more like a God Forbid song. But what I'm saying is, like, my feeling about the record, like, now is... You know, and, and this is not my, my normal state of mind, but I'm like, part of me is like, I wish it was more God forbidish. Really? Yeah, like I think, but but I think, you know, it's like, like I said, because I was just going with where everyone was at. And I think like Byron, for example, was really inspired by Matt's songwriting. Mm -hmm. You know, like that was the stuff that he was connecting to the most. And he was writing more like melodic vocals and stuff. But like, really, the record I wanted to make after that was I wanted to go like way heavier. Then, really? then yeah so i was like but I, like i said it was i i've i've never been that kind of person who's like i have the vision and you will listen to me it's like no nah, well, i kind of want to do what everyone wants to do and if this is the vibe then all right i'll go with the vibe oh, you you totally are a democratic person like believing in democracy insofar as like the structure of the band and stuff and and how it operates you know largely like you were always open and are open to other voices and suggestions you know for sure I try to, you know. I mean, but I, but to I me, mean, that, that's you. But that's to me, that's what a band is. Like yeah. anything other than that is, it can be a band format to a degree, but it's something else, you know. When it becomes, and listen, some some bands are like that. Like you look like Metallica. I'm pretty sure, like the last album, it's like it's James and Lars. For them, always is really nobody. Them, right? I, I mean, but I think it went. It got more democratic. In, in kind of their different periods, and I'm and who knows I could be speaking out of my speaking out of my ass, but I know I know everyone contributes, mm -hmm. but I feel like they kind of were like, "No, nah, we're gonna run this shit, yeah." I'll call you, not don't come over till I call you, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, in certain bands just work in di different kind of different kind of ways, and I've been in so many. It's like Battles, my first band, or Battles. Godfrey was my first band, but I've been in so many scenarios since then, and seeing how this band runs this way and this these people work this way and it's you know like i said the way we did it is pretty rare these days you know it's because now like i said people they just they record on their computer and they have everything set up and they're like well here's the songs and or even like like opeth like michael writes everything he just shows up right. like here's here's the songs yeah, and learn like, all of this <laughs> yeah you know and that's 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 certain bands you know it it, it, it is it is what it is you know i, I can't say one way is bet better than another. I, I do think, I always felt like the more, like when I would write something on my own, and if, if no one else 
added to it, it would be like boring to me. Maybe it was just good and it didn't need adding to. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I'm saying, but to my ears, like, yeah, because I'm very like neat, right? All my stuff, it's like this needs to fit here, and this, it's like, doo -doo -doo. so it's like, what I loved about God forbid was, you know, Dallas thought very abstract in certain ways. Corey thought out of the box in a, in a lot of ways. So when so when someone else put their like spin on or added something, it, it like it fucked it up in a good way, right. where it became. Inter more interesting almost by default by getting more other people's personalities in there right right you know and listen i've never wrote way more stuff on my own since then you know um and i can't i have that skill now where i can do it and like not think it's boring but i remember at the time being like it's not really done until there's that other input everyone else puts yeah. their it's not what what the band is until everyone else puts their their, their spin on it you know so um, do you like doing that better now, would you say? Now that you can, if you choose, like construct a whole song, or do you still find that you want the input from, from others? It's weird, you know, because sometimes I feel like there are certain times when, like, I want to work on I, – I feel like if I, I want something to actually be completely well thought out, I kind of need to do it by myself. Yeah. And then – let me kind of just stretch my legs on this and then I'll do it. But then there's certain things like, you know, me and John Berkland, we'll, we'll get together and, and hash some stuff out. Um, and you know, and some great stuff will happen to me and Chris will work on some stuff. And it's, but lately I've definitely been in that thing like, all right, let me just, let me, let me get, get in my zone. Cause sometimes someone could like fuck up your kind of mojo, your, your zone, you know, <laughs> and it's not even their fault. You're just, so I don't, you know, I don't know if that's like a control freak thing for me, but but I also like to do the inverse where maybe I'll be, it'll be really someone else's song and I'll kind of just come in and just, oh, try, you know, just little things, but not like take over, you know? Yeah, but change some stuff. Yeah, just just be like that extra. And I think that with Bad Wolves, like John wants that out of me to kind of be the, the punch up guy. Like he's like, all right, I've mined it. What am I missing? What what are you what are you gonna hear that I didn't hear? Mm -hmm. You know, and that and I think I'm pretty good at that too for for certain things. You know, because you have everyone has blind spots. You know, yeah, for sure, yeah, no, definitely. So you know, I'm kind of gonna, gonna gonna skip ahead a, a little bit. Um, you know, Dallas left the band in 2009. Obviously, that was like pretty devastating because you know we've been the same same dudes for you know at that point. Like when did you join the band? Ninety seven. Seven. Yeah. All right. So it had been twelve years, th yeah. twelve, thirteen years. Everyone, same, same lineup. And you know, he had been, you know, kind of had a foot out the door before that. Like he, uh, like when we, I remember we started working on Earth's Blood. You know, we we came here and he wasn't even here. It was just you, me, and and Corey for right, for initially, yeah, for a minute. Um, and uh. You know, like what, I mean, what do you like kind of remember about that period or how did you feel about that? It was, it was just all very strange at that point. Cause yeah, like you said, we were a unit for so long and always, you know, working together, even if we fight amongst ourselves or whatever for this common goal. But then all of a sudden this, this force in the band, that was a large force in the band, you know, of motivation and, and, and opinion and, and, you know, creation decides he's not with it anymore and especially the way it all happened was very you know we had something to do and he decided he wasn't going to do it anymore and then we're like now what the heck do we do you know yeah. do we 
not show up for this amazing opportunity? No, I don't think that's really an option. Was, I guess, yeah, just like upsetting, disturbing to the whole flow of things at that point. Yeah. You know, like uncharted territory is what I think of at that point, like playing things as a four piece like we decided to do on our way out to the, the tour we were going to. Yeah, very, very unusual. But I feel like we've always, you know, we deal with adversity pretty well. Or, or even like, like when you got to step up to the plate, I felt like, you know, you always have those shows like in, you know, the big shows in L.A. or Chicago or something yeah. like that. And maybe, you know, you've had some decent shows and stuff, but you know, like that everybody's going to step up. And like, I don't ever remember us having like a, a bad show like anywhere. But like, you know, you have the nights where you're like, ah, it was OK. Like, I don't really remember that happening in the major cities. Like, we always stepped it up and came together. I remember Corey you know. broke his, his snare drum at Harrison Ballroom. <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Remember> wow. <laughs> Did they like, tape it together or something? I don't remember. Yeah, somebody like kit problems. But <laughs> I just remember, I'm just trying to imagine what Byron said. Hey, uh, <laughs> how y'all doing? Y'all ready for Grand Ophel? <laughs> or, or was he, because he, Byron also on that one, he started talking, doing the, his, like trying to do a Danny Filth, like talking in a death metal voice for a minute. I was like, "Yo, motherfucker, what what, what are you doing? <laughs> just 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 stop, all right? Be be yourself." Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's I I remember that show. So we we did we were with Cradle of Filth and Nile. You know, it's the biggest tour we ever done at that point. Most of the shows were sold out, thousand, fifteen hundred. But that show in New York. Was it was a thirty six hundred cap venue, but I think there was like twenty five hundred people there, or something like that. And Vision of Disorder also played that show. Um, and so at the time, it was the biggest show we we had ever played. And when you're used to playing clubs, even a theater can be intimidating. And then all of a sudden, you're playing like what to you feels like an arena, like right. a, like a chasm. And I just remember being shook. <laughs> so I don't I don't remember if we were good or not. Um, and you know, and I, yeah, I feel like there's not that much footage, you know, out there from that era. It's rare, rare we all find something. Yeah, Corey posted something. I don't know. I forget even what. Well, there was one thing. That, uh, this guy posted. It's a cool YouTube page. It's a whole show we were playing with Mashuga and the Haunted and Nemec in Montreal. I think. Yeah. So it was yeah, a whole yeah, yeah. set. I remember that. It's I pretty sick. That. Yeah. It's pretty sick. And then. Did you see the the Gatorade bottle show that he put out there? Oh, yeah. you remember that? <laughs> That's so, out there too. That gem. <laughs> oh, this is so. This is hilarious. So, at the time, I, I want to say this was ninety eight or ninety nine. I think yeah, it was back there. Yeah. And uh, at the, it was the most money we had ever been offered to play a show. I think we might only got like five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, five or seven hundred, something, something like that. And we played a graduation in like. A banquet hall or something yeah and there was no pa and byron sang through what uh it was a gatorade bottle that he cut the bottom off of a gatorade like his own little megaphone and guess what you could still hear him <laughs> yeah <laughs> over over the amps um and it was what was funny was all the kid that the graduation party it was all like i think they were all like football players or something and they were just moshing the whole time there was only like 30 dudes there or something it was kind of hilarious there might have been some girls there maybe they hid the girls or they told them to don't come because they wouldn't enjoy it um but i remember just thinking it was the funniest thing in the world and i was like what the fuck is going on 
<laughs> yeah, that was kind of ridiculous, right? Like, yeah, you know, we're doing things professional. No. <laughs> hey, listen, here's the thing, though. Once kind of anyone thinks that you're worth something to pay some money, it's like, oh, we actually do have fans. Yeah. You felt like, oh, we have, we have fans. We have people, people that like us. I remember we played that uh, pool party at who's it, whose house is it at? It was in like Linden. It was like Ray's house or uh, or some somebody from uh, Agents of Man. I can't remember. I remember the show you're talking about. I don't yes. remember whose house it was at. Yeah. Yes, we played out a, back by the pool. Yeah, played a pool party. That was kind of hot. <laughs> I went swimming. Did you go swimming? I didn't go swimming. No. Oh, no, I didn't on, go man. swimming there, man. Come on, you gotta go swimming. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, just kind of getting back to like, you know, talking about the the Dallas thing. And I think maybe it kind of colors how I think about the last record, too, because it's such a differing, like, uh, just switch of like, you had kind of this one, you know, chemistry, I guess, if if, if you will. Of like, this is what the band sounds like, or is what I think of when I think what the band sounds like. And maybe that difference, it just makes me think about it differently like to me it's not better or worse Mm -hmm. it's just more kind of the character that i think of the band further removed from the other yeah yeah and it's well well, just like i said if i one of the things i really liked about earth's blood was how experimental it was you know and and equilibrium was kind of like a move to go a little more back to being a little more traditional a little more you know kind of like oh we're gonna have a hooky chorus or we're gonna you know have, have this kind of thing where it's like i don't know i, I like like this, and this is me because i've i've thought like i had a song i wrote for for jamie josta and he ended up just using like the chorus mm-hmm. and I, so i saw i was like but it kind of sounds like it could be a god forbid song i was like oh maybe we can just do like one song but i'm like but then it got me thinking like well if i actually made an album or wanted to make an album like what would i want it to be and i and i think like when god forbid was the best it's when it was really trying to i don't know like fuck with the norm and push the boundaries to like another level mm-hmm. as opposed to trying to like fit into something or or tame it you know so that's what i think about when i'm like oh if we ever did something it'd have to be like i don't know so you think that album was more tame in a sense i think more tame than earth's blood yeah yeah i think you know in terms of just uh in terms of creativity okay you know um and like I said, and, and I and I and I still think the album is really good. And a lot and a lot of people liked it, and I think Matt did amazing work. I think Matt saved the band, yeah, you know, um, because his uh, enthusiasm kind of pushed, you know, everything that was that was that was happening there. But I mean, you look at what happened that album. Like I said, you more or less, you know, had to kind of focus on work. Yeah, toward the end of that whole cycle, yeah, uh, definitely the the. I guess I was letting the job take more precedence in yeah. in my life. But at the time, so your um, current wife, you were not married yet, right? No. So like, um, but she lived in Northern England, and you were like in the process of bringing her to the states. We were seeing each other. Yeah, she moved here in 2012. Okay, right around that. that yeah, time. And we got married in 2013. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was at the damn wedding. What I'm yeah, talking yeah. about? Yeah, you remember? <laughs> I, I was there. <laughs> uh, did, did you think that did that weigh into kind of like your priorities? Hmm. Like uh, the my relationship with my wife at that time, or well, just the whole thing? Well, just job, I mean that like that style of life. You well, mean. I mean, just think about it. I mean, it was the first time 
like the only other times you didn't play with us because that was because so be, so Beaker couldn't get into Canada oh, because yeah. of a because of smoking them tweeds. You got <laughs> but you were in a car, so they counted it as a DUI, right? It was a DUI, yeah. And I actually, you know, honesty is the best policy, yeah. right? You know, at the border, I told them that you don't. I don't have a license. Why don't you have a license? I should have just said I never had a license, but I told them why I didn't have a license, and then that started the whole waterfall of shit that is yeah. my uh, relationship with the Canadian Water Patrol. <laughs> so, like, I remember, like, eventually you you did some paper, you figured mm-hmm. some shit out, but before that, like, our homie Will came in and did base for us um, a few times, and actually, did, he did a couple tours. He did the he Arch did Enemy Arch tour. Enemy, like, pretty much the whole thing, and yeah. I came in, like, at the end. Yeah, he did that one. Willie G came in, did a couple, like two shows or something. Is that with Bleeding Through, I think? Yeah, and then then Adam Segear. Oh, wow, yeah. Did a couple. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, damn, I forgot you had this. (laughs) We always had competent ones, but at the end, the last one, um, let's just put this way, you were sorely missed. Let's uh, just put it that way. (laughs) You were sorely missed. Um, But no, but I mean, I think about that time right when it's like no dallas and then all of a sudden you're not there yeah and then it's like the seams you know are are starting to show and i and i and i i imagine it's like almost under the it's not like on the surface but under the radar like you don't even realize those those are the things that make maybe make this guy look this way or maybe look you know me like i you know for me it was mainly the the financial stress because i just didn't have a plan yeah outside of the band and the band was like we did those last tours i think we came home with like 200 bucks a week or something after you know a whole tour and you're just like i'm this age and you you, know, you guys were older which probably made it that much more you know i just i just and then you know we had these band meetings that were just not <laughs> not <helpful>. inspirational <laughs> no that were like usually you have a meeting and it's like you know what we found common ground. I know his first come, and it was just like, you know, it was so. It was those two elements for me, you know, that yeah. I was just like, I'm fucking done. <laughs> Understandable though, man. I mean, I think I was kind of worn. You know, I was kind of worn out at that point. Yeah. Like, I, I guess with just with the situation, yeah. You know, financial hardship and all that stuff, and it's not. You know, you're not doing it just for the money. Yeah. But it makes the rest of your life difficult if you don't have enough money to easily survive and pay the bills that you have to pay or whatever. Well, not only you know. that, it's what is, when I say plan, I mean like, okay, so here's what you're making now, but what do you, how is that adding to your future? Of wh- where are you going? Right. It's an indicator of like, okay, this is, you know, because you, you can't just look at things and like, well, I've got enough money to eat this month, but I don't know where I'm going to eat next month, you know? So it's like, it's all about, building like a foundation and like okay where is it going looking six months from now a year from now having a plan and i and i just didn't have one i was like i need to figure some shit out you know for me i just had, i feel like i had to grow up you i know? had that realization earlier yeah. like as far and that's why i had that job before like i joined god forbid and all that because i was already like in that mindset like yo i you know i gotta not make something of myself but i gotta have you know some sort of security of do some you, kind do you remember by the way, I feel like half of this, this podcast is like the straight up. Remember, remember, remember Jurassic remember Park. Remember that time. We got a lot of good memories, though. <laughs> no, I know, but I, but I feel like as a 
you know, as a, as a, a host, I should frame it better. Oh. I was like, well, there was a time, you know, you can say the same shit, but do it a different way. Um, but there was a, there was a time. See, see that, see that transition. Oh, uh, wow. Good man. <laughs> and I can't remember what time period it may have been like Oh five Oh six where just maybe just the grind of like doing it, doing it kind of was, was, was weighing you. And, and, and you had this phrase, you go, you go, sometimes I just want to take a walk <laughs> and I can't take. A walk. <laughs> and we, and even though it was serious, we all thought that was so funny. <laughs> We're like, yo, man, don't fuck a bigger man. He needs to take a walk, man. He can't take a walk. <laughs> because, it, but I totally get what you mean, though. Now, it, I mean, I guess then I didn't really, because to me it was like touring was freedom. But I guess from your mindset, it's like, well, I'm stuck to this thing. I got to be here at this time. And I'm, I, but is that what you meant at the time? Or, yeah, I think just the fact that, yeah, I didn't have that like individual freedom as much because you're part of this thing, you yeah. know, this. Thing that's traveling around and doing things on a certain schedule yeah it was more difficult to just go do what the hell you want because of whether because of time location or, or money or whatever you know? yeah yeah I, and i guess that was like it was hard for me at that point to give up some of that control over my life and be able to just say yeah, okay yeah you but know? you but it seemed like i said you'd have these periods where you just needed to like decompress go home and then get annoyed with being at home. <laughs> you know and then be like, all right, that's time. I'm ready to go on the road again. Sick of this and the the, the, yin, the yin and yang of it. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. Do you feel like um, being able to go, you know, to Europe and and Japan and Australia? Like, did that kind of give you a different dimension and kind of worldly? But obviously, you met your your, your wife in, yeah. in Europe, so that obviously has that big effect. But just in general, do you? I mean, how do you feel about that? You know, just exposure. It was great, like being able to do that and have, you know, someone bring you to these places because they want you there and you can go and they facilitate your being able to be there and play and stuff to know you have like some people that actually want to hear you and people that are willing to help you make that happen was awesome. It was exciting. Yeah. Like another level, like another step up first, you know, you get to make a real record, you get a record deal and all this other stuff going and playing shows full time now, touring and all this stuff. And then it's like, yeah, then that's like that next frontier to break out internationally and be able to you know like you say play in japan and go to australia like we did and all this crazy stuff was really exciting it was great to have that opportunity you know what about uh ozfest when you're actually on tour with priest and ozzy and slayer (laughs) incredible yeah like heavy metal summer camp and just to be rubbing elbows like with people like that yeah, you know, to be around them in the same production area and stuff was a trip in and of itself. Let alone getting to talk to people, you know, and hang out at night, you know, and like have the, the second stage parties and whatever else was going on. And that was all very cool. Yeah, I'm saying. Like, here's the thing: I didn't really listen to Black Sabbath when I was younger. Like, I got into Ozzy solo stuff, and I know some of the songs. But I'm just saying for you, like I remember that first, the first Ozfest first day when we're playing in Connecticut and it's like me I'm sitting next to Mark Morton at the soundboard and we're just like just shaking our head like what the <laughs> fuck is going on here but I imagine for you it's like fucking and it's like the original lineup and they were killing it on that tour they sounded so good you know who I felt like more like giddy and kid like like that with was when we got to tour with Anthrax and the original lineup really yeah, because I one of the my show memories from way back when was going to the the Class of the Titans store, 
with Anthrax and Megadeth and Slayer and Alice in Chains. It was like their first real yeah, the- national exposure and stuff. And, you know, and I got to tell, like, uh, I think it was Joey that I told, yeah, I saw you, you know, at the garden on the Clash of the Titans tour. And you could see he was like, holy shit, you know, like thinking, I don't know what he was thinking. Probably, wow, I'm old or something. I don't know. But <laughs> that, that was like more of a head trip, like to, to get to play with that band, I would say. Not that Ozfest wasn't great. It certainly was great. But it just threw me for more of a loop. Yeah. Being in that situation with these people, you know, that I have that memory of from that, that show. and Yeah, them. I mean, that was... That didn't last that long, so yeah. uh, you know, with at least weeks. with uh, with well, just in general, them oh. doing stuff with Spitz, you know, because yes. pretty much they've, you know, it's more or less the same lineup, just with different guitar players. But just being there for that was a fucking cool moment. We've had, I think, a a, a bunch of moments like that, you know, yeah. whether it's you know, doing Opeth's first ever tour or taking, you know, Avenged Sevenfold on one of their first you tours, know, or, yeah, yeah, bands bands like that, you know, um, on being on both ends, you're just kind of you get kind of caught up in in this this history of it actually be having kind of making some kind of mark you know like like for me one of the biggest things was uh did you see that documentary of metal headbangers journey yeah i have seen it so yeah. there's they have in the movie there's these uh the metal family tree you know where it shows like oh here's thrash metal and black metal and we're in new wave american heavy metal okay. we're in the list of bands which says no matter what I mean, not, it's not that there's like an official heavy metal hall of fame or anything like that, but as far as the uh, the markers that we do have, we obviously made a mark. And then in in the the documentary, there's a kid, just a metalhead, they're interviewing, and he has like a couple of our posters in the background. And it's like, oh, you know, no matter what, we made some kind of mark, whatever that whatever that means to anyone. You know, and it's hard to kind of quantify. I'm proud of that, man. Yeah, you still meet people. They're like, oh, wow. you know, they they know of the band and stuff, or their friend will know of it, and they find out you were involved with it or something. And it's just, I don't know, it's just cool to know that you made that kind of like a positive impression on people that they're actually into that stuff, you know, yeah. and either liked your music or maybe even helped them further with their life in some way, you know, get them through some time or whatever. Well, it's coming back. Like I said, it, if you look at the uh, cycles of, you know, uh, like I mean, I guess you call it nostalgia. But just, I, I'd say more appreciation, where like you go away for a while, yeah. and people are like, oh man, that band was pretty cool, man. It'd be cool if they come back and do the show, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you thought about that at all? Like, if uh, we got offered to do something, would you would you do anything? I'd I'd love to, yeah, do something like that. I think it'd be fun. How's the chops? If you had to if you had to play a show next week, how? <laughs> How would it be? <laughs> next week it might be a little rough, but you know the next week after that it'd be fine. How's your How's your memory? Do you like re- remember this, the songs pretty well? Some of them, yeah. you know, yeah, but definitely others. Yeah, I would have to like go back and be like, all right, yo, where where you was still I have your, a rig? What's that? You still have a rig? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got all my stuff. What's I up, still the... like diddle around and stuff, and like I said, I'll do once in a great while like this cover thing with some people at work. What kind of covers? But, you know, like you know. Sweet Home Alabama and stuff oh, like that, you know. Well, I don't know. What you know, like very, you know. You're in Pennsylvania, boy. <laughs> no, like simpler rock songs, yeah. stuff like that. Nothing like really that heavy, you yeah. know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be fun <laughs> if that that you know opportunity ever came around and it was, you know, it made sense to do that or something. Like enough people wanted to be there and see you somewhere or in a couple of places. Yeah, that'd be cool because well, i didn't want it to end in the first place yeah i was i was bummed about that you know 
the way all that happened and all that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I've said it before. I said it again. I think, in many ways, I think maybe not you because I think you were pretty stable, yeah. and you know, like I said, you had kind of that ability sometimes to just, hey guys, I can't do this tour and do some stuff. But I think for at least for some of the other guys, I feel like in a way I allowed them to continue with their lives in ways that maybe I think the band might have been holding us back. Yeah, you know, and and, and like I said, and I think for me it was definitively true. Um, you know, because, you know, I felt stifled, you know, and I felt like I could do more. And mm-hmm. that's, thankfully, that's bared out. Um, but, you know, it's, but like I said, I've never closed the door to it. And like, you know, I, I, I did a, I did some interview and, and someone pulled a quote, like, because I was like, I was like, yeah, I don't think it really give, gives a shit. You know, I think I did. I think I saw that. And then everyone, it made all this news. And then, and then I got a, uh, Chris from Starlands like, "Oh, they're gonna hit you up. They're gonna make you an offer." I'm like, "Yeah, whatever. Just fucking <laughs> let me let me know." We did. We did get an offer actually to to open for E Town, but then that'd be cool. I forget. Yeah, I forget. I forget what happened. I remember like talking to Byron. He's like, "Ah, I can't really." I was like, right, "Don't worry about it." You is know? that a couple of years ago now? Yeah. Did that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which honestly is is fine. I was like, you know, if we're gonna do something, I, I was like, we should fucking headline. Fuck that shit. <laughs> God damn it. You know? But um, but no, listen, I always, I always think about that stuff. And, you know, but for me, it's like, A, I don't want to force anything. Two, I'm kind of serious about that. Like, I, if we're going to do something, I, people should give a shit. I'm not going to go like, hey, you want us to play? It's like, no, it's like yeah. I want there to be a demand. You know, because, you know, you were there at the end. It was it was getting a little sparse. It's getting thin. Yeah, that's true, man. <laughs> you know, um, which happens to a lot of bands, mm-hmm. you know, and things things c- c- come back around. Um, and, and obviously, I'm really busy. Um, and, you know, and, and like I said, and to me, there's, there's still the, the Dallas thing is kind of like, it's I don't know, it'd be difficult for me to, if like we're going to do it, uh, I'd at least try and make it the original lineup or something. But it's like, you know. Who knows? Is that possible? Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So, I'm, you know, it's just something I, you know, every time I do one of these, we kind of, we talk about it a little bit just to kind of, you know, I don't know, just it, because it should be talked about, I guess, you know, but. um, I think that's because there wasn't any, like, you know. Final thing. Yeah. It's just, you know, the situation wasn't the greatest in the end for a variety of reasons, and no one hates the other guy or whatever. It's just, that's the way it worked out, but there was never a, you know this is the last time you'll ever see us in the same room together yeah. or whatever, you know, because yeah, we don't feel like that about each other. No, you know? no. And people ask, Hey, you still stay in touch with everyone? I was like, yeah. Like, and like I said, me and Byron had, you know, a rough disconnect, you know, at the time of everything went down, but honestly, like doing the podcast was like really healing. That, that did help you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, you know, I think, you know, Byron, he just, see, this makes me uncomfortable. What the whole interview process and holding yeah. the mic and stuff? Yeah, it's just it's very strange. Well, you know, I I mean, you know, it's different for different people. But I think I think you're fine. But uh, no, no, <laughs> I, listen. Um, I think for for him, you know, Byron, just you know, Byron, like you don't end up being a screamer in a metal band because you don't you don't not have anger <laughs> issues. So I think he's a guy that you know that was kind of his modality. A lot of times it's just anger and aggression and. You know, I think life things worked out for him really well with his family and yeah. career and being settled down. And he's just a much more he like he was someone that would have a lot of grudges, and and that would like stick in his craw. And I think he's evolved past that in a big way. So by the time we talked, it was like 
he had no issues. And even like me, I'm not that way to begin with. Like I'm, I'm not like, I might be annoyed at someone or mad or upset with someone, but I don't like sit around and let it take up, you know, kind of real estate in my, in my mind. Cause I just think it's, it just doesn't help you. Well, no, it gets you know? in the way of other stuff you want to do. Yeah. And I'm just, and I'm just generally a forgiving person. I think you, you gotta like move past shit. It doesn't do anything, you know? So, um, but yeah, but that, that was really kind of a healing moment. You know, I got to see him on tour and I met his kid is like the cutest, nicest kid in the world. And it's like, they're great parents and I'm just, I'm just really happy for him. And it's like, so you just, sometimes you got to let time kind of happen and deal with things. And, you know, the thing with this band, like I said, with everyone, it's like the family aspect of the band was always more important than everything to me, at least. Yeah. You know, it kind of superseded. Cause like I said, cause if, if, if it was just about music or career, then maybe we wouldn't still be in touch as much or whatever, you know, not that we talk every day or anything, but, um, you know, I agree. Yeah, because we we were like, we weren't just there doing the, doing making music and, and trying to be stars or whatever. Yeah, we were there because I think we all had fun being together. Yeah. I mean, we would writing be, music, cracking on each other. But I'm saying, but it, like, we'd be off tour and it's like it's a holiday and we're hanging out. It's New Year's Eve and we're hanging out. It's Fourth of July and we're having a barbecue together. We didn't not because we had to be. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like that's it's who you're comfortable with. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, but every you know, I th- I think. You know, and that's the thing that kind of uh, you see, you know, like with, with me, like seeing the different aspect of the music industry of like the way we come up, which is like a lot of the bands we came up with, whether it's Shadows Fall or Lamb of God, like, yeah, they're, they're buddies and they grew up together and that's how you do it. But then there's like the professional world where it's like hired guys and or girls and it's it's just more about the business of it and you don't necessarily have that other connection and it's just uh so it makes you appreciate that kind of more organic you know kind of uh the family style yeah yeah, yeah. yeah it's different because you can't manufacture that at all it just is or it isn't you know? right so you know do you like do you feel that element is there now with your your band um well we definitely Hey, I mean, like you know, like we'll literally get off time. the road, yeah. and it's like, come to your house, we're raging. Like we we di- like we're friends, but I think you kind of have to be, or else it would be miserable. And the same thing with my other band, Vegas Nerve, where like I said I've done, you know, half a dozen shows with that band, and we've done one EP, mm-hmm. but it's about the relationships. Yeah, with first. The so it's band. like I, you know, it's like I get, even if we're not working on, we we haven't done anything in a while, but it's like I'm still like checking in with dudes. I'm still like. You know, working on little stuff and helping them out, and you know, you know, just whatever, because it's that's what it has to be to me. Like that's what a ba- you know, band is not just people that get in a room and play music together. Yeah, I don't know. For me, it's it's just it's beyond that. You know, no, it's just like a team. You're on the same team, and you're you know, you're you're fighting a good fight. Yeah, but I know? but I think it's also like uh, when a band. And, and like a team, you know, but the thing is, you've heard, like, you know, I've watched that Jordan documentary where, you know, where it's like, there are certain guys that, like, you know, they didn't like Michael Jordan, personally, or they wouldn't hang out with him. They were just like, it was like, he's the boss, and we're fucking, we're, we're part of it, but you don't have to necessarily be friends with someone to be in a, on a, make a team work. But I think a band where, even if there's this motherfucker beefing with that guy, or there's whatever, if the band truly loves each other and is there, I think you will, that will be reflected in 
the chemistry and the performance and what the people kind of vibe on on what a band is. Yeah, no, I agree with that, that. I don't know if that, that makes sense. So because yeah, so, they can see it's real, then it's like real emotion between people. It's yeah. not just you getting up there and, and going through the songs that you wrote together, you know, or two guys put together and the rest of the guys came along and learned or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's, as you say, it's more organic. Yeah, yeah. but that's but you know, it's, it's things that I. I don't even really think about it intellectually. It's just a, a vibe and my natural modality for how I exist in bands, you know? And like I said, and I've, w- whatever, and there's different, because you know, I've done things where I just like, I'll go play with the band for like Darkest Hour for a little bit or I'll do something, but even when you're there, it's like, well, we're together, we're, we're here, Let's, we're buddies, we're, you know, all for one, one for all, you know, you gotta, that's just the vibe. And I, and I love that thing and that's, even like, I remember there was like a quote, like a Paul McCartney quote, where it's just like, I don't need. I'm like paraphrasing, just some. He's like, he's like, all it's all about my fucking band. He's like, that's why I'm here. It's like, and he's had the same band for a while. Like when he does like solo stuff, you know that like, yeah, it's kind of cool. Like you're Paul McCartney. Like, does he really need anyone on stage? He can play piano and sing, or play guitar and sing. But it's like, he wants to be one of the boys and have that that vibe you know right so. yeah the family family vibe yeah uh, camaraderie yes <laughs> well john i feel like i've hit everything i wanted to hit you know and um you know i'm, I'm really glad i can make this this, this this work out because like i said you're kind of uh the maybe unheralded or quiet guy in the band where you're not you know me you weren't like hey here are these 50 interviews whether that was and i was trying to think i was like i was like I wonder if he was like annoyed by that or felt like he wanted to be involved, but I get the feeling you're kind of happy to kind of be a little more in the, in, you know, the quiet role. No, I am for sure, man. I don't know. Like I always, it's always very strange for me, like being around like, you know, real rock stars and other just popular bands or successful bands and not personally never feeling like, like I wasn't that good or something, but just feeling like, I was, I don't know, Separate. I was more, yeah, comfortable hanging out with the crew dudes and, and some guy <laughs> at the bar drinking a beer than, than, you know, than kicking around with the other bands. I, like, know. I, I, know you know, you, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I always felt more comfortable in, in that way. I don't know, like not wanting the attention. I mean, it's a, it's a vibe. You know, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at uh, kind of wearing both hats, mm-hmm. knowing how to kind of be the be the rock star and hold court and be the, the big personality and kind of yeah that people want to see and yeah. know yeah and that, i mean and i think that's part of it that's part of the fans don't want to see a regular guy on stage or girl they want to see someone who's larger than life and you know kind of is this other thing and that's whether that's your ego or that's the performance or mm-hmm. a character you play or or whatever but it definitely it matters you know star quality and that extra thing you know it's something where it's weird because right so like you do a show like this which is all about being humble and honest and vulnerable but that element of things is kind of i don't know it's 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 you're sometimes almost benefited by pretending like you're god's gift to everything so it's like on one end it's if you're if you just be the star you'll be more successful but you'll end up being a really idiot, shitty person. Yeah, and when you come into close contact with other people and stuff, yeah, when you're not performing, yeah, you shouldn't be the performing guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. was like my hero. You know, my hero kind of rock hero is like Dave Grohl because mm-hmm. he can kind of he gets on stage like 
Dave Grohl, he's a rock star. He's the greatest. But I kind of feel like I could hang out with him and it'd be cool. I was going to say, he seems like he'd be kind of the same person on and off stage. Yeah. And, and I guess that's what you should be, you know, yeah, be yourself. I, yeah. But, yeah. I, and, he, and, and he is. I've, I've got to meet him and, you know, he's fucking super chill. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and he's kind of what you think of when you, when, you, when you think of him. It's fucking badass. But that's, you know, that's the idea is like not to be. Because certain people, right? Like Prince, for example, right? Like, I don't want Prince to be normal. I want <laughs> Prince to be Prince, all right? I want this motherfucker to be on a invisible skateboard and wearing a fucking cape and, you know what I'm saying, licking his lips and fucking yeah, humping. that's why the... you love that artist, because yeah. they are so extreme in all these ways. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that but... guy didn't give a hoot about yeah. how other people perceived him. He just was cool. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. But some people are that, and some people can be. You know, listen, I know guys who are. You know, you like, you like uh, Ben Benjamin uh, Burley from uh, Breaking Benjamin. You know, like he's like the lead singer, but he's like really reserved. He's not like super outgoing. You don't see him that much. He's really nice, but he's just, you know, you don't see that guy. But like, there's a superstar, but that band's massive. You know, I felt that way about Howard a lot from Killswitch. Yeah, well, how how kind of humble, introverted dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, but Howard, he's like he gets social anxiety, so he just doesn't like being around a lot of people, and he likes to keep to himself. Yeah. But he has star quality he has this thing of like like i said star quality is just I, uh, neil brennan put it the best he's like he's like yeah when i'm around because with dave Chappelle, like he co-created the Chappelle show he's like people just want to eat his face <laughs> and that you know that's what star quality people just like ah, ah, they just they just want to you know smother you and hug you and put them and kidnap you and it's just like a thing as they say in the business do they have it yeah, they have you it know, or they don't. Some people have it, you know. Uh, you know, and I've seen that. You know, when you in, kind of on the level, what Bad Wolves does, and even some other things, you see like, oh, there's that person. People just naturally gravitate, whether it's called called charisma mm-hmm. or whatever, some kind of thing, and it's it's real, it's palpable, you know. So I don't know. I feel like we we got off on a on a tangent there. Yeah, I'm good at leading you there. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. But anyway, man, I listen. I'm I'm just really happy we we got to finally do this. And um, you know, I love you. I, I miss you, you, man. And you know, hopefully we can uh, you know, we can do something at some point. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. You know, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. See, and hopefully this don't get people's hopes up too much. Yo, Doc, where the reunion? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm open to it. We'll I heard you it say out. it was next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you. Thank you, man.
you have it. That was a reflection of the past, which was kind of two part uh, or the second part of an instrumental from God forbid's second LP, but Central Media debut, Determination. And that's some, that's all John right there. Uh, and you can just hear how how talented of a guy he is. Such a beautiful piece, piece of music. I, I've been called it out that someone says, uh, my, my buddy Adam Segur, who I had on the show, is like, like, he's like, it sounds like Fear of the Dark from um, Iron Maiden. And me, you know, like, I like Maiden, but I'm not like Mr. Maiden, dude. And I was like, man, shut the fuck up, man. Stop hating, punk. All right. Anyway, <laughs> but I, I just think that's that's awesome. It's it's so, ugh. I love it. I really do, and I love John, and I really appreciate him doing the show. That it was kind of a long time coming. We we tried to do the show one or two other times before that, and I I went outside. We actually did that. We were outside. It was like you know ninety five degrees, and you know it's humid. And we're drinking beers, and it was just it's uh. It's really important to me, and I, and I love him so much, and and I'm glad he we can hear him, you know, hear hear where he's coming from, you know, and it's it's awesome. Anyway, I'm getting I'm getting emotional right now, but um, yeah, this stuff is important, and also hopefully entertaining, hopefully entertaining. Like I said, I hope I didn't talk too much, but sometimes that's 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 just how it goes. He's quiet, you know. Yeah, I can't. I got like, you know, that's how that's how it goes. You know, some people aren't jabber jaw jaws like myself. It's okay. Anyway, just one we'll check in. Did you guys buy your X Man t shirt from dotcoil.net? Did you? You know, I sold a couple. I mean, I sold way more of the other shirt. I'm like almost halfway through my shirts that I, that, that I ordered. But, but you know, well, here's, here's, here's the deal. So, you know, once like life is normal and we're like on the streets and we're doing things, if you come up to me, right, and you're like, yo, doc. Yo, Doc, man, yo, I just want to let you know, yo, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the podcast. You don't know what I'm going to say to you? I'm like, word, um, did you buy a shirt? And the answer is no. I'm going I'm to slap you in the chest, right? Like, just like, like you know, just like, a, just right up on your chest. And then I will physically assault you. Like, And I'm like, thanks for nothing, jabroni. Get to stepping. Okay? That's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm like, you know what I'm saying? What? I'm like, okay, what have you done for me lately? And they're like, ow, 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 what have you done for me lately? And then you get the chest slap. Okay. That's right. You know, I, you know, you know, uh, they have these books on like love languages. You know, some people it's like, you know, it's um, you know, they need to get their feet rubbed and they need compliments. You know, I need money. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding, y'all. Oh, Marketing is funny to me because I, li- I like the, uh, the the shaming people into buying. <laughs> it's very it's 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 very hilarious to me. No, but it's it's like it's an interesting thing to me. Like, how do you get people to buy things you know that they don't need? And then right now we're in economic um, hardships, right? So like I should feel, I should feel bad by by asking anyone to buy anything, right? I'm I'm like being a bad person. I'm contributing to the uh, you know the greed of the world. You know, I'm I'm not a great capitalist, you know, but um, I bought the shirt, so so I gotta move. I gotta get these things out the door. <laughs> oh my 
my God. Actually, and, and I say this, you know, it's funny because I have a picture of the of the X-Men shirt specifically that I, I have. But the actual shirt in real life looks so much better. Like, it's a great print. So, and the very nice shirts, you know. Anyway, if you love the show, go just go over there. By the way, I have this, the, uh, I have another shirt where I'm making the De Niro face, you know, committed to ever, forever being in some band. You know, and I got these custom guitar picks um, from Dunlop. Jim Dunlop with the little tin, .co collection. Check it all out. I'm getting more stuff. I'm getting pins. I'm getting stickers. I'm going to mix it up. You know? God damn. Feel like a feel like a money whore just grubbing, you know, with my little tin. You know? Hey. Hey, Mr. Scrooge, can you give me three shillings? You know? It's not becoming. It's very, it's very sad. All right. Anything else? Oh, oh NBA came back. I watch, I've been watching a little bit. It's not that bad. You know? You missed the crowd, but... I'm pretty. I just need to like not be so busy so I can actually sit down and watch some games. You know, I tried to watch a game Sunday. Immediately, girlfriend started arguing with me. I was like, "All, all." It's like all the one of was a Pepsi. It's like oh, basketball's been back for literally a day and a half. Can I? Can I? Can I just have this? Can I just have this? All right, guys. I, this I just turned into a bitch fest. I'm just, I'm just turned to a stone cold bitch made punk right in front of your eyes. Okay, I love you guys. Mama out. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.